Cool. All right. Are we, are we ready for our, our are you guys going to strum or are we going to do our, I, our, I don't know that I've practiced for the no, strumming, man. but it is time for the ASDS Sandbox Chat. Jason, I'm fired up today. I bet you are. I am. I'm fired up for lots of reasons, but the biggest reason is that one of our longtime friends, Jim Foley, is going to be on the podcast today all the way from beautiful Connecticut. And uh, are you in Connecticut today, Jim? I am in Connecticut today. Okay, yes, indeed. Right. So I'm a globetrotter. It's hard to keep track of. Hard to keep track. But, <laughs> but Jim has been such an inspiration to me personally. And, and he and I met several years ago. And uh, through the years, though, um, I have always found Jim to be somebody that, one, offers incredible wisdom, but also just he, he's always thinking about what is the next thing. He's always somebody that I can bounce ideas off of. And I, I really am just truly blessed to, to have him as a friend and colleague. So I'm a little fired up today. My energy level may be 10 today. I'm telling you. And I'm excited because, <laughs> you know, I got introduced to, to Foley through Mike um, from their time uh, at Aspiring Heads, correct? Mm -hmm. That's where you guys I started yep. this um, this crazy drive, and now I actually get to sit on a board, uh, the Atlas board with Jim, and so I got to hang out with Foley a couple weeks ago, which was tons of fun. And so, as everybody knows, so this is the podcast. This is the Sandbox Chat, which goes nowhere because what's the purpose of Sandbox? It's it's that in between time that you have, right, and not the the structured uh, times, but the in-between times where you just get to hang out with, with your buddies and the people that inspire you and talk about things. So can, can, I, can I add to please that? Because the cool thing, y'all know that this idea of the sandbox, even what we host every year here on campus, but now the chat itself came about uh, moments where we were at conferences or times where we got together and we realized, man, we're, we're doing some really cool stuff outside the sessions. And again, Jim was literally one of those inspirations behind that. Every time we have a conference, we always make sure to get together. Like it means uh, we make it happen. And I'm thankful for that. And I don't think we'd be sitting here with a sandbox chat today if it wasn't for, for that relationship and that friendship. So, so Jim, introduce yourself, tell other people what your official title is and what you do in the world of education. All right. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Jason. Um, man, you guys got me grinning ear for, from ear to ear right now because I, you know, same thing. Like, I mean, I, uh, I don't know, just the manifestation of all of those, those conversations that we had on the edges, right? I mean, I just think every single time we've ever gone anywhere where we knew that our paths were going to cross, right? Those were the, the moments that I was looking forward to the most, right? Uh, outside of the sessions. Um, so it's an honor and a privilege guys. And, and thank you. I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. Um, so my name is Jim Foley. Um, I am my official title is the assistant head of school for leadership and innovation at St. Luke's School in New Canaan, Connecticut, which is a little less than an hour north of New York City in beautiful Fairfield County, Connecticut. Um, let's see. St. Luke's is uh, St. Luke's is is actually the, the name is a misnomer. It's a non-religious school. Never has been in its entire history. Uh, started in the 1920s by a pair of gentlemen who uh, were making a for-profit five-day boarding school for boys, uh, and they were trying to model it after the British boarding school system. So they looked around and noted that they were all named after saints and figured they should pick one. <laughs> so, you know, 
no, no small amount of marketing challenge uh, nearly 100 years later, but that's all right. Um, and St. Luke's is, uh, I'm entering my 22nd year there. It's the only school I've ever worked at. So I get to joke that it's all I know of normal, but I try to get out as much as I possibly can for comparison. Uh, <laughs> thus, all those trips to see different conferences and different schools and everything else. Um and, um, you know, I've been really lucky. I, I found my way. I don't have much background y'all you, you want, but, um, you know, I, mine was a, was a definitely a, a, um, a path that wasn't kind of laid out or intentional in that respect. I mean, I, I started off, um, thinking that mostly what I wanted to get out of life was um, a lot of money because I didn't think I had any. So I, uh, you know, I, I pursued a career in banking and corporate finance successfully. I got an econ degree and I worked on wall street and in, um, you know, management consulting and corporate finance for pharmaceutical companies. But, um, I had that moment of realization where I was like, this is not as fulfilling as, as I thought that it was going to be. And so, um, after a few years I had, you know, the follow thought was like, I think I, you know, I really loved school. I love learning. It's always happiest in school. I think I might like to be a teacher and maybe a basketball coach. And, you know, the next thought was well, why wait, you know, cause life is short. And so, um, I quit my <laughs> quit, quit my corporate pharma job and uh, enrolled in an alternate certification program. And uh, before the, the even the financial aid could kick in, I answered an ad in the newspaper for a varsity girls basketball coach uh, at St. Luke School, um, which tells you how long ago it was because it was an ad in the newspaper, um, <laughs> right? <clears throat> and uh, I got that job. We you know we had a great season, and you know next thing I knew, the school needed an algebra one teacher, and in my naivete, I was like, oh, I've got a degree in econ, I can teach algebra as if that had anything to do with it, <laughs> right? But I had some great mentors and tons of support. And I got to school to St. Luke's at a really interesting time because it was a school that was, you know, really growing and changing its trajectory. And um, there was a lot of opportunity to do stuff that was neat and interesting. And, you know, that kind of fit my own personal interests. And they needed people like me to do crazy things that, you know, felt like, you know, I was like, well, wait, we can, can I do this? And they're like, sure please go ahead. <laughs> right. So, um, I've always, I've always thought about the kind of the mindset of a great school leader ever since is like the kind of, um, person who can cultivate an, an atmosphere like that. I know that that's what you guys do there too, right there. I don't think there's anybody at your school that would possibly think that the answer to, can I try this crazy idea is no, not at your school, right? Not a chance. I mean, I, you know, um, it makes me think so much. Madeline Levine did all that great research years ago that talked about success is not a straight line. And mm. unfortunately, many of us, when put on the spot, tell a story that uh, it, it sounds like it's a straight line. You know, well, I went to school, then I you know, became a teacher, then I became you know, the uh, assistant head of school. It's like uh, there are a lot of other places in there that we just yeah. kind of farmed out on that, my short summary of that story. You know, Jason and I's story is the same. You know, we, we certainly didn't go to college thinking we were going to be educators. And I certainly never thought, and especially my teachers never thought I'd be ahead of school. Right? <laughs> so powerful to share with others uh, that are aspiring to be an educator, but also even more for our students that success is not a straight line. Success yeah. takes you where it takes you and it's about moving forward. So I love to hear your story. And it's a, it's a great reminder for all of us. And it's Thanks. interesting, you know, you know things intellectually, and then you sit down and you talk about and you reflect. You know, I, I we're on episode what five now, mm -hmm. and 
I don't think that we have had a, oh, I went to school to be a teacher and I, we never intended yeah. to, to choose that. And I don't know that we knew all of that. We knew mm -hmm. some of it, but, you know, my degree's in econ as well. And, mm -hmm. you know, it was, if you would have told me I was going to be a teacher when I was in college, I would have called you all kinds of names, but <laughs> you know, that coaching uh, drug, drug me into, and I think we've, we've all had these similar circuitous paths to where we end up. And I, and I love that fact, but I don't think that I've ever like truly thought about that in exactly that same way. We, we talk about hiring entrepreneur teachers, right? People that have more than just one thing. And as an independent mm. student, you've always had to do that, right? As independent educators, you coach and then you go teach and then you got to go drive the bus and you got to do this, that. And that's part of what draws us to independent schools. Mm. But I, I find it interesting that a lot of leaders we're talking to yeah. um, took very different routes, but mm -hmm. all non-truly traditional. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, I think, um, I mean, I, I don't know about you guys, but I I always made a point of sharing um, that, you know, ask all those aspects of my of my story with my students when I was a full-time classroom teacher and then, you know, in, in subsequent settings too. Um, you know, I still do now. Um, you know, because A, kids are interested in who their teachers are outside of <laughs> the lesson plan. Right. Um, and, and B, I think, um, you know, they, I think I always found that they really appreciated the fact that I brought that perspective to their education, okay. right. That I had an opportunity to, um, to do some of the things that maybe they aspired to do, or that I, tr you know, my path was not linear, right. It was not straightforward. Um, that, um, I, you know, ran up against some obstacles. I, I found some things that actually I, you know, had always thought I wanted to do and, and discovered I hated them. Right. <laughs> like, you know, or, or that I, I, I enjoyed the work, but maybe I, there were some, some of the things about the environment or the people that I found there that I didn't, that I, I was like, oh, I don't think I want to be this kind of person, you know? Um, I think they really respond to that. I, you know, and and I think they continue to. And, you know, I don't think it, it's helpful to me in my particular fields of, you know, teaching math or teaching economics now, like I do, but, um, or even, you know, when I was uh, running the center for leadership, but I think it's true for any teacher in any setting, to be honest with you, you know, and I, one of the things I always tell prospective candidates when I'm talking with them is, um, you know, one of the, part of that journey for me was, re was that realization that like, um, you know, I had, all of these interests outside, you know, I, I, you guys know me, right? So, you know, like I've got all kinds of wide ranging interests and hobbies and curiosities, right? And, and when I was in the world of business, those were all looked at as distractions, yeah. right? Like my, my higher ups, my bosses would be like, you know, that's time that you could be spending on the business, you know, right? Um, but in schools, and this is what I tell people who aren't maybe familiar with it, right? Is in schools, we love that, right? You have those kinds of things, please bring them because two things, one, we will put them to use. You will run a club, you will teach a class, you will coach, a you'll do something on behalf, right? Um, but also I think it's really important to tell and to show kids that you don't have to be, nor should you be just any one kind of person, right? And I, I'll, I'll, I'll say too, I'm really grateful for what I've seen in, you know, in the years since I first started education, where I think society is increasingly recognizing that way more than they used to, way more than it used to, right? Than people used to uh, back when I was coming out of college and entering the world of business, you yeah, know? Um, I was going to say, we've come a long way because I remember when I started in education, um, uh, 
people who didn't come from that traditional track, we were taking a risk on them. You know, they don't <laughs> yeah. have classroom experience or their whatever. And uh, I think we've learned over the years that it is that very depth, but also the breadth of those um, experiences that make us uh, a better school. Um, we want yeah. our students well-rounded, but we didn't want our teachers to be well-rounded in the past, right? We, we want right. well-rounded students, but we want specialists that only do one thing. And I think we figured out that having people that are entrepreneurial, it's more about a mindset. I, I don't want to discount um, pre-service training. I mean, there's lots of good programs out there for teachers, but it is a mindset that makes a great teacher. I, I've never met anyone who had the wrong mindset, but great free service. I've met a yeah. lot of people who had free service <laughs> had the right mindset that were amazing teachers. So yeah. I, I love that. So sorry, I, I, I uh, digressed a little bit there, but I, I just thought that was really powerful and I, that really spoke to me. Yeah. And I, I mean, we just sat down with our, our today was our first day of new teacher training and, and to see that, you know, we, we break them up into groups and I kind of do a group resume. One group had 124 years of experience between the four of them and another group had three years of experience between the, you know, three of them. And, and it was just like this cool thing because I think that our kids need to see both, right? Yeah. That, that really experienced. I've been doing this for a long time, but then they need that fresh blood. So as they go through their day, they're experiencing that, that give and take. And I just think that, you know, if you think back to 22 years ago, yeah, having a, an outside interest was really a detriment. But how many millennials or whatever generation you want us to, how many of the young workforce right now does not know what the word side hustle is, right? right. It's become this portion of society in a different way and so i just think that it's nice that that our two schools are looking at people mm -hmm. that are embracing that and not yeah. just saying you have to be a, a 25 year teacher to, yeah. to have a job here mm -hmm. well you know it's funny jason about that too it makes me think like you know teachers have had side hustles forever we sure. had to because we we don't get paid yeah we, we you know we nobody goes into teaching for the money right so we've <laughs> We've all had to do side hustles, tutoring, coaching, camps. So, you know, the people are like, oh, you know, teachers, you're so lucky you get summers off. I'm like, those that's just a time for me to find a second job full time. Yeah, right. Right? <laughs> so true. Well, hey, Jim, one of our uh, standard questions that we ask, we really only have two, Jason, is uh, we like to ask our guests, um, what are those elements right now that are really firing you up. What is igniting passions in you right now about your current work, about things going on in the, the world of education that just are something that you're uh, pondering a lot that you're really thinking on? Hmm. Well, I mean, in my current role, um, you know, the, <laughs> it might just be the, this most recent um, school year and the experience that, that um, it put me through in, in the context of my role. Um, but uh, that would be disingenuous because it's been on my mind, my mind for a little while. And I think this year just really kind of threw into stark relief some things for me. But um, it, it's really about this question that we've really been talk, touching on right now. How do we find the kinds of teachers that are going to be able to spark the kind of learning that distinguishes our schools? Right. Because that is the promise of an independent school right, to our parents and to our students, right? It, this is, uh, you know, an exceptional education is in my school's mission, right? But I think that is implicit in so many of what we're talking about, right? Like an exception from the norm, something that distinguishes why, 
you know, a, a, um, a student who goes through my school, goes through your school, right, is somebody that has a spark, has a quality, has a set of, of experiences um, and, um, and a mindset and expertise that will distinguish them um, from their peers in that regard, right? You, you know, the, the quality of your, <laughs> of your student outcomes is entirely dependent on the quality of the teachers that you have, right? So what, and, you know, I'll, I mean, this is something that I've been um, working on for a while, um, but, you know, the, the ways that we do hiring in independent schools is um, challenged at best, right? And highly problematic at worst, right? I mean, we're challenged by the constraints that we have, right? And, and you know, when I talk to people outside of schools, like, you know, my trust, a lot of my trustees, for example, and they hear the ways in which independent school hiring world works, right? They're like, you, you people are crazy. That's, that's what you, that's how you do what you do, right? Yeah. Like you, your entire industry rehires its entire workforce in the span of like two months from February to April. What is that all about? Right. right? Um, but, and that puts all these crazy constraints on us. But well, my point though, is that you know, there are all kinds of ways in which we can do a better job of even within those constraints, identifying in really specific terms, what are the things that are going to make a great teacher here in my school and how do I assess for them and how do I do so consistently, right? Without bias, uh, without making it about, you know, the person who, you know, happens to have the best lunch conversation with the department, right? Or happens to know the cousin of the uncle of the trustee of the person who went to your uh, alma mater, right? So, um, you know, that's that's been something that has been both consuming me and firing me up um, for for a while now. You know, I think, um, you know, the, the reason I mentioned about this past year in COVID was not just because I happened to have a, a, an extraordinarily challenging hiring year in terms of, you know, turnover and that kind of stuff for a bunch of different reasons. But also, um, I know that my experience was not isolated, right? The uh, part of what I saw was an entire society, maybe even an entire species kind of reevaluating its priorities, <laughs> right? Like what really matters to me? And um, I think we saw that kind of proliferating throughout our schools and, and, um, and I think that ties into this question of, okay, well, what really matters to you? What really matters to our students and to the outcomes that we're trying to drive toward, right? How can I get the most number of people on the same page about those qualities um, and get us really working collectively together to try to do so? Um, and that's that's kind of within the constraints. And there's all kinds of ways of like, well, how, can we break free of those constraints? Can we work around them? Can we like, you know, take a whole separate game and not play it, right? Um, so... I think that's one thing. You know, I think for me too, um, you know, entirely uh, consistent and um, tangential to that at the same time is also a question of, um, you know, how, how do we, how do we have a, a more diverse workforce? Um, how do we have a more, um, a, a, a teaching faculty that attracts more teachers of color to it, um, that attracts more teachers from diverse backgrounds, that attracts people who are not necessarily already in and of independent schools, right? Because I know that outside of our tight-knit independent school world, you know, there can often be a, a very different perception, right, of a place that is elitist, a place that is not for me or people like me, right? Um, and I just got to say that, you know, if if our students go through our, you know, our schools and they only are ever taught by people who are like them or 
are never taught by people who are like them in any of those those characteristics that are meaningful to them, that is not an exceptional education. That is not the best education that we can provide for them, right? But we have to do a better job of making our communities and our environments the kinds of places that more people can see themselves a part of, right? Um, and that's not on them. That's on us to do so. So those are, I, I think, some of the, the big things that are that are on my mind. And, you know, I think all of this is, of course, happening in, in this context where um, we are rightly reevaluating our priorities as a society as well as individuals. Um, and so we need to be responsive to that moment and to that those changes be precisely because we can. That's one of the things I love about independent schools, right? We have the ability, we are, we can teach what we choose to teach, the way we choose to teach it with typically disproportionate access to resources to support that teaching, right? What do we want it to look like? We are free to invent and create. I know you guys know that. No, absolutely. I mean, the, you know, with all of the uh, hurdles and, and um, you know, uh, really tough situations that we've had to think through, there's opportunities in every one of those mm. now for a reflection, for revelation, but also for change. And I, I think we believe that very much as well. You know, uh, as you were talking, though, two things that really jumped out at me, you talked about the the importance of faculty and the quality of teaching. Um, when people ask me, uh, no matter what time or what's going on in our world, which there's always something different going on in schools, as we know, Mike, what's your biggest challenge? My number one answer always, I don't even have to think about it, is it's faculty recruitment and it's faculty um, growth, right? Those are my two yeah. things. I don't care what's going to happen in schools, uh, even with COVID, that still is my number one worry is because we have to have the best teachers. I think it was in 2005 when the research came out that really, in some ways, I think rattled the independent school world because it really said that the number one factor um, in the outcomes for students is not class size or curriculum. It is the quality of teaching, which for too many years, independent schools fell back on. Well, it's our small class sizes that make us great. Yeah. Small class sizes are really great. But if you have a bad teacher with a small class, I'd still rather have a big class with a great teacher. And so I think it's really important for us to always remember that we have to be able to, to go out and look for, for great faculty because that's where the outcomes do come from no matter what. The, the thing yeah. I'm curious on, I'd love to hear your, your responses is, I still think in some ways though, the carrot that we're dangling for teachers is very traditional and, and not based in the world. We were just talking about wanting to hire these entrepreneur teachers, but yet we are going to do an annual contract that pretty much looks like everybody else's. And if you're great, really innovative schools might have some little way to tweak a really great teacher's contract, but pretty much great to, you're not going to get a contract looks the same. So I'm really intrigued about creative compensation. And I don't mean necessarily incentives or whatever, but are there ways that we could break down systemic to me mediocrity about how we attract teachers and how we compensate them? Do you have any thoughts on that? I mean, I'm just I don't have any any great solutions, but I'm curious. Damn it, that's what I came on this podcast for. I thought that you guys were <laughs> uh, next, next, next episode. No, <laughs> I uh, I mean I do have thoughts, and I don't. I mean, look at. <laughs> The reality is it's not easy, right? Or somebody would have already figured it out and we'd have the answer and every independent school would do it, right? right. Um, but you know, this is one of those really challenging constraints we have as nonprofit institutions that are bound by a budget set by a board of trustees that we have to adhere to because every single 
additional dollar that you spend on anything, whether it be an additional full-time employee or an additional um, classroom or um, an, you know, an additional uh, you know, dollar in raise, right? All of that translates directly to an increase in tuition dollars, right, on our families. So we have every incentive to try to be as lean and mean as we possibly can. And teachers are sensitive to that, right? Teachers know, um, you know, that the the um, the price that that families pay in, in tuition um, is near and dear to them, right? Um, every dollar is dear to them, regardless of whether they are someone who is paying, um, you know, full tuition or whether they are someone who's who is getting a lot of financial aid. But the dollars that they do pay are still dear to them, right? So teachers are aware of that. Um, now, I think, well, I, I think increasingly, what I'm concluding is that. Um, Teachers mostly are concerned from a compensation standpoint about uh, are concerned about knowing whether or not they are compensated fairly compared to their peers. We all know, right? School leaders know, to, you know, classroom teachers know, staff staff members know um, that precisely because we work in the field of education, we're not compensated for our worth in society, right? None of us are, we know that. And, and we don't get into it for that. We get into it for the, um, you know, the, the joy that, that comes with being a joyful presence in the lives of kids every day, right? Like that is just the ultimate reward. Um, but I do think that, that teachers want to know when in that, in that context, like, am I being compensated fairly compared to my peers? And my peers could be broad, it could be my peers, you know, in my department or in my division. It could be my peers in like our neighboring schools, right? Um, it could be my peers, uh, you know, compared to the public school, you know, in the in the area that I'm at. Um, my peers compared to the years of experience or degrees, you know, uh, uh, advanced degrees that I have. Um, and that's a tough line for us to walk. I think we need to do a better job of finding some more transparent path through that. Nobody, including the teachers themselves, I, I believe, wants a school where everybody knows what everybody makes, right? Like there are some of those radical models that you see in Silicon right. Valley or some of these other places, right? Um, and maybe they work there, although there are conflicting um, stories mm -hmm. and evidence, right? Um, but I think we can do a better job of that. So I think that's part of it, right? Is figuring out some way to communicate to people, um, you know, A, where do they, how do they, they feel like they are compensated fairly compared to peers? And B, like what, what can I do to to um, to distinguish myself, whether that's in compensation or not, right? Mm -hmm. um, and to know like how am I valued, how am I seen? That's something that that I know that we don't do really well as independent schools is this concept of like um, uh, evaluation in that sense, right? Mm -hmm. In a lot of schools, the evaluation is did I get a contract again or not? Right. OK, I'm coming back next year. They must have they, they feel that I'm um, I'm good enough. Right. Um, so I think that's another piece of it. Right. Is how are what are the ways in which we can help um, teachers to uh, to know where they stand, you know, not just in terms of compensation, but in terms of standing compared to peers, standing um, as the, the school's standards of excellence um, dictate. Right. Um, 
And, you know, the funny thing is, I think there are some parallels to that in terms of the way that we grade our students, right? Not that I would want to put a grade on a teacher, but what I mean by that is that when uh, every teacher has had, has probably had the experience of when you ask a student to evaluate themselves against a rubric, for example, they're usually way harsher on themselves than than you actually are, right? And I I think that's also, I think, the case for for teachers in a lot of my my estimation, Um, you know, and, you know, part of the job is to, is to let folks know, like, oh, no, 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 like, here is where you are really good, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's not something that you hear about a lot, unless you happen to be one of the teachers that every school has, I know, right? Um, there's a small number that, you know, they always get, um, you know, asked to speak to the prospective parents, or they're always, you know, going to show up in the newsletter or something like that, right? Um, or asked to, to be on a committee, right? Those are the, the things that we hear a lot about. Um I do think, you know, when, when I think about creative compensation, though, I think a lot of this is what kinds of experiences can we offer for our teachers? You know, my 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 family, my wife and I talk about this a lot, um, you know, maybe because we've had to operate on a on a teacher's budget for so long. Right. But, um, you know, we value experiences more than we value than we value things. Right. Um, and so we're always asking, asking ourselves, where can we find an experience that feels really worthwhile, right? Like, you know, we're going out to celebrate tomorrow. We're doing a, um, a clam bake, uh, at a lighthouse and you have to take a ferry to get there. Right. Um, it's going to be awesome, right? That kind of experience, right. Well, you know, that will feed us, you know, both, uh, literally and, and figuratively for a while. Right. Um, and I think the, the, one of the the things that we can do with and for teachers is provide really interesting, fulfilling experiences that will feed them spiritually, intellectually, emotionally, right? Um, You know, it's tricky to try to create new and proliferating forms of recognition because the the yang to that yin is then people will feel like, well, I didn't get recognized, right? Um, You know, and that's hard. Right. But I don't think that means you should stop doing it, but I don't, I don't right. Um, I do think you should still recognize, you know, your teachers and look for more opportunities to do so. But, um, I don't think you should, we, we should be thinking that that's the only way to do it. Right. So I'm, I'm talking about things like, you know, we have, um, we've created interesting professional development experiences, um, for our teachers, right. That they can only get through St. Luke's we've created, um, enrichment, you know, experiences that they could only get through St. Luke's. Right. Um, and so like, what are some of those things that we know will feed their personal, their spiritual, their professional growth in that respect? That's an area that I think we can really do a, you know, a much bigger job, you know, and, uh, you know, for whatever it's worth, I, 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 the experience that I've seen leads me to believe that, um, you know, donors to independent school, which again, the, you know, the, the financial realities of a nonprofit budget, right. Donors matter. Um, donors always want to know what will teachers, you know, get out, get out of this. What will teachers, what will make teachers feel really valued? Because, you know, it's been my experience. Those are those parents, the parents who give the most, the parents who care the most in terms of their own time and energy, not, not just even dollars, right. They're the most committed to the teachers because they understand what it, takes to be a great independent school teacher. They want to support those teachers. They tend to really respond to opportunities to create those kinds of experiences for teachers. That's right. Yeah. I, I love that. I, I love where you went with that because I certainly believe that, you know, when we talk about creative compensation, uh, just giving more money is not very creative, actually. That, that's pretty, that's <laughs> no. pretty non-creative. Uh, I do think there's ways that we can financially reward teachers. And I, I don't have a problem with that, but I think that, 
you know, some of the things that we're doing here are right on those alley, the alley down the alley that you were talking about, though, allowing teachers leadership opportunities through the program Jason leads with our teacher leader cohort, where they get a mm -hmm. passion project through um, our, uh, we have a very healthy endowment for our professional growth plan so that we can go to donors and say, this is the way that you feed teachers, you give them experience, you let them grow, you let them learn. And so I, I love, love, love that. Um, I, I wanted to go off on the other uh, thing that you mentioned about in your passion. So was the, the idea of um, just how we really look at diversity in our schools. And I, I read recently, and I, I apologize, I'll put the link in uh, the podcast, but the National Association of Independent Schools put out an article, I believe it was last week or week before, and it was this whole idea that we should maybe be using the word belonging more rather than some of the other language. And it was a great story mm -hmm. that um, really touched me talking about um, uh, someone's personal journey about that belonging was really the moment when it felt like diversity mattered, right? When, when they felt like it didn't matter what what different looks a person had or what their backgrounds was, it was that no, that, that no matter what, they welcomed me because of mine, right? And so right. I, I'm just, it really made me start thinking. I mean, really, um, pondering this idea about in our schools, how do we build that belonging? And I think if if everyone belongs, you're going to have diversity in your school and you're going to have um, you know the, the, the feeling that people are welcomed in. So I'd love to know some things you're doing. I know St. Luke's is definitely, um, you know, they've been on this journey for a while and you've been a big part of it. So what, what do you think about this idea of belonging and what are y'all doing that might be uh, guiding other schools right now? Yeah, I'll confess, Mike. I'm um, I'm on the fence about that um, mm -hmm. for a couple of reasons. Because I, I agree with you uh, that some of those aspects that you just described um, that can make people uh, that, that that you know, if you have a feeling of belonging, that um, it may have already solved for a lot of the other uh, you know mm -hmm. challenges that we're we're trying to to, to work through or address. Um, I guess. <clears throat> My the reasons I'm on the fence are, are you know, kind of a, a couple. Right. So one is that um, I've seen um, I've seen shifting landscapes of of terminology. Mm -hmm. Right. Come and go in our schools in ways that sometimes can feel like sleight of hand. Right. Sometimes can feel like. Um, a way to distinguish yourself from a marketing standpoint, um, a way to, um, to sometimes even like obfuscate a little bit, right? Like, you know, look over here, don't look over here. Right. Like that kind of right. stuff. Right. Um, I, I, I think it's a little too soon yet for me to feel fully comfortable that belonging is not, uh, you know, a, a term, a terminology or a phrase that is used in some of those, uh, those ways that don't feel, positive and, and reinforcing to me. Um, that said, I also recognize that like, you know, <laughs> language isn't just mine uh, to dictate its use or its, uh, <laughs> uh, its appropriateness. Right. And so, you know, some of that stuff is out of my, uh, it's not, not even in my purview. Right. Um, I think another question in my mind is, you know, whether somebody feels but belonging, it, it feels like it puts the onus a little bit on the person who is at the margins, right? Do you feel like you belong, mm -hmm. right? Um, and by contrast, for example, uh, the word, you know, the, the, the term inclusion feels to me like it puts the onus on the people who don't have a question of whether they belong, 
<laughs> they already know, right, that they belong, or they, you know, they might not even have, have even bothered to ask themselves that question, right? Um, but how do we? Inclusion feels to me like, um, but again, by contrast, like a more of an active process of, um, you know, of outreach, of making sure of of not placing yourself at the center of things, um, and so. I don't know that that belonging can uh, can't um, have that same sense of agency that is required on the behalf of people or, or, or on the on the part of people who already feel like they are in and of independent schools. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like that's that's something we have yet to work out in my mind. You know, and again, it feels like this is this is a, a, a concept, a phrase, a, a, a piece of language that um, is very much kind of in the making right now, right? It, we're playing with it. We're, mm-hmm. you know, it's like a piece of clay that, that feels like, you know, we think that we know what shape it's going to take, but um, there have been other pieces that we've we've tried to, to use or add or mix in, in the past and not so recent past. <laughs> right. um, and maybe they work, maybe they don't. So, you know, I think it, it's definitely not fully baked yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that, that listening to you talk, you both talk, it makes me think of, of a couple of things. Um, the the inclusion to me sometimes feels like it's forced, right? Mm-hmm. I have to include you instead of we belong. But I, I do think that there's an element of something you said before and something that somebody said to me 10 years ago that really stuck with me. Somebody looked at a website, uh, the faculty on our website at our old school and said, there's nobody there that looks like me that is teaching there. Why would I want to apply there? I don't feel like I would belong, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so- yeah. How do we enable people to understand that they could belong in our society, in our little spheres, right, you know, of independent schools, if we don't have people that already appear, like you said, right, not just for students, but for other teachers, yeah. how, how would I belong there? And I, and I think that's such a struggle, right? So it's the chicken and the egg thing. How I can have more people belong, but I have to have the first people, you know, the first group, the first followers that that really bring that up. And so it's a, it's a real struggle that I see across independent schools of that, well, we want to include you, but really, really want you to belong. But in order for you to belong, you've got to see other people that belong that like you. And yeah. how, how do we get there? I, I just, I still struggle with that one. And that one's always stuck with me um, in, in that, obviously, as a, as you know, person looks like me, nice, you know, Caucasian white boy that's, you know, been forever. You know, I, I belong when I look mm. at the website, but it's it's not, that's not belonging. You know, it's no. nowhere near what, what we're referring to as belonging. Right. No. And, you know, I, I, what I, one of the things I'll say too, though, that I, I mean, the, well, I think one of the things that, that, that I really like about belonging is that um, in contrast to so much of the academic jargonese that, you know, we in education can find ourselves lapsing into real easily, right? Um, Belonging is really clearly understood by just about everybody, Mm -hmm. right? Um, You know, you ask somebody what inclusion means who's not in the world of education, and often even people in the world of education, right? Um, And, you know, they're like, I don't know, what does it mean? Like, you know, they can't explain it, right? Um, Nobody really needs to explain belonging, I think, in a lot of of ways. So it has that as, I think, a a definite um, advantage to it. you know, and that's one of the things, especially when we, you know, we're talking about, you know, diversity, equity and inclusion um, in our schools. Right. Um, 
one of the things we have probably been guilty of that we have to be better of is um, making sure that we are explaining our terms and our and our meaning, our understanding of those terms um, much more clearly, much more frequently. But Jason, I think you're absolutely right. Um, in, you know about a little bit of that chicken and egg problem. Um, you know, I, I, the way that I think about it though is that um, they are just they're concurrent um, work streams, <laughs> right? Um, and you know, it does. It almost doesn't matter necessarily um, which one might you might have success on more than in another, right? Because first of all, I don't think any um, I think success will be elusive, right? Um, and will never be um, sustained, long lasting, right? Um, not for not for a while still in in our society, right? But but also I think um, you know the, one of the ways that I, that I think about the the challenges is, and and have been successful in in areas with it, right? Is explaining all of the different aspects of what it means to be a member of an independent school community that is not really about those um, those social markers, right? Um, those identity markers, if you will, but are about things about um, what our shared values are, right? And those are the things that I think attract people to an environment, right? What our shared professional cultures are from the standpoint of, of teachers and, and staff members who work in our school, what our shared um, values are from the standpoint of parents um, who, who send our children to independent schools, right? The things that, that we value in common. Um, and those are the areas where uh, I think we find a lot more people who identify as, yeah, actually, I'm exactly that kind of person, <laughs> right? Yeah. So if yours is a school that really can demonstrate to me that those values, those cultural uh, characteristics are not just ideals, but are lived out and practiced in X number of ways. They don't have to be perfect, right? Because how many of us are perfect on a given day, right? Um, but there has to be sufficient evidence for me to see that you're acting out on it. Um, that is going to, that's going to be successful, right? It has been successful in my experience when you couple it with honesty, right? Um, and straight talk about what are the challenges to that though, right? Um, where are we still striving to meet ideals, right? Um, what can you expect as somebody coming to our community that is gonna be like incredibly positive, I would expect to be po incredibly positive for you. Some areas that I would expect there's probably gonna be challenging for you, right? Um, we're really good about talking about that in some other axes, right? When it comes to academics or APs or whatever that turns out to be, um, but um, maybe not so much in some of these areas. Very true. Well, um, we told you that time would fly and it has already. <laughs> this is true. And we uh, are to our second question now, um, 45 minutes in here. Our, our last question we always like to ask our guests is to kind of tell us what you feel like is having the education right now that has possibly the biggest impact for the future. What, what are, what's that one thing that you're seeing right now that you believe is maybe a turning point or a big moment for education right now? Hmm. Or what do you wish it would be? You know, yeah, what's your moonshot yeah. for that impact? Well, I think it's a little too trite to say that it's COVID, but in, in the way that I've been thinking about this is, you know, we, we have long known that there is a, a, a disconnect between students' perception of what the world of school is and their perception of what the actual world is, <laughs> right? Um, and I think the experience of COVID really accelerated and crystallized 
um, the the growing awareness of of the this new generation of students in our care um, that sees a, like a lot of hypocrisy, a lot of disconnect, a lot of a gulf between you know what what my education is supposed to mean and what the world actually seems to be wrestling with, <laughs> right? And that I'm going to be expected to wrestle with in some, in some way, shape or form, um, you know, and, you know, when everybody was stuck in their, in their homes, their apartments, um, you know, and our only windows on the world were through our screens, um, you know, kids saw a lot, they saw a lot, right. Uh, about the world out there that, um, you know, we can, we may tell them that, look, you know, you can, set your sight on anything, right? Um, you're going to be a generation of leaders that's going to take on enormous challenges. But I mean, heck, if I'm a student in, in that generation, I can completely understand why some of my peers might, might go like, those challenges though? That's, <laughs> ah, that's, that's a little bit more challenge than I had an appetite for, right? Um, what about your challenges, right? Back when, you know, so anyway, all that's to say that um, I think, you know, when, when you look at, um, you know, what we, where we succeeded in independent schools during this uh, this crisis, you know, I think a lot of it was about building community, um, which is something that we do extraordinarily well. It was about focusing on, um, you know, the the ways in which kids were going to be um, we're gonna we're gonna find their own agency, find their you know, the skills that were going to get them through the moment that they were working through, whatever that moment turned out to be, because it was different for each one of them. Um, you know, the, the landscape of like, well, what, what is this, you know, nice, neat path that's supposed to lead to college and then job and then career. Um, that whole thing got disrupted, right? All of a sudden it's like, what do you mean? I, I can't go visit a college. What do you mean? Like tests are optional. What do you mean? Like, uh, they're going to be, you know, admitting, you know, uh, 500% more people than they ever had in a previous year. What do you mean that like all of these assumptions were completely upended. Right. Um, and so what we, I think, can do as independent schools, maybe better than anybody is, you know, not even just bridge the gap, but like, just knock the walls down. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Can we just get kids out into that world, right? And do our learning in that capacity, right? In that medium through their, their genuine, authentic connection to the problems and the challenges and the opportunities that they can see right in front of them. Right. Um, I, that to me feels like, um, you know, a really worthy moonshot, um, because there is no shortage of great challenges that they're going to be asked to, to pick up the, the baton on, you know, when they, when they mature into that next generation, maybe this is just me as, as a Gen Z, I'm not Gen Z as a, as, you know, I'm joking with my kids as a Gen X guy, right? Like, you know, um, you know, we were, you know, the latchkey generation, we were always like, well, figure it out, right? Like, okay, it's fine. Like, so how do I now take that, you know, to this next generation and help them to figure it out? Um, I don't know. That's something that, that, you know, I'm thinking about a lot. It's a good moonshot right there. I, I, I've said a few times already that I do believe it's up to us as educators to make sure our kids are stronger, more creative and more resilient at the end of this than they were before. Um, yeah. But I do believe if we do it wrong, they could actually be less resilient, less creative. And so that, that's on us as the people that are helping guide these, these steps for our students. So I, I love that. Yeah. Well, Jim, I really appreciate you spending some time with us and hmm. getting to hang out. And as we said, time has flown by. Um, 
I, I, I am so excited Always does. about what you're going to get to do at your school at St. Luke's this year and the impact that you're going to have on kids. And just thanks so much for taking a little time out to spend with us and uh, enjoy. Um, I think that... Jim, Jim, I think you ought to pull your guitar up here. So as we, we fade <laughs> our music, I know you have a guitar handy because one thing that... All of our listeners need to know about Jim Foley is he is an incredible musician and another story for another podcast. But uh, Jim, why don't you throw some riffs out? I got my guitar here ready to strum. Uh, All right. Some riffs of We Leave Jim Foley, everybody. There you go. <laughs> Jason, Mike, thank you guys. It's been an honor and a privilege, and it's always a pleasure. All right. All right. Here we go, guys. <laughs> I love it. I got it. Uh, my pleasure.